0: Let's take our Bibles, open it to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 17 and 18 tonight. Let's read the passage together. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read from verse 17 up until the end of the chapter. And as we read, let us be reminded that the grass withers, the flower fails, falls, but the word of our God according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's a reading of God. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your precious, precious word. Lord, we do not understand the privilege of being able to hear your words spoken directly to us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to see you, um, to understand this text better. Father, give us your spirit of wisdom and of revelation to be able to know you and to love you more, Lord pray that you will revive us, Lord. Maybe some of us have maybe grown cold and grown lukewarm in our love for you. And I pray, Father, that you will use even this sermon and this text to kindle again a passion for your name, a desire to know you through your word and through prayer by the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, if I were to ask you, what would you say is the greatest need of the church Today, Perhaps some of us would say that the church needs to learn to be less judgmental. Perhaps others might be tempted to say, no, the church needs to learn the Ten Commandments, and if only more people knew the Ten Commandments, then the church will be much in, in a much better place. So others might say that the church needs to learn to take care of people. We need to learn to show mercy and kindness and meet the needs of the poor. Or others still might say that we should strive for unity. The church is so divided. What our ch- the church needs the most is for us to be united again as one body. Perhaps we need to cultivate again a, a culture of discipleship, of, of making disciples, evangelism, baptizing people, and teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded us to do. Now, all of those things that I just mentioned are true, perhaps true needs and things we might need to consider But I think there's an even more fundamental need of the church, which never changes. It's something we need in every generation of every culture and every time the church needs this. It's something we need that is so basic to being a Christian in the very first place. We almost assume it to be true without thinking about it. And that is the great need of knowing God knowing God. That's it. If you were to ask me, what would you say is the greatest need of the church? To know God. This is exactly what Paul was praying praying for these believers when he heard of their faith in the Lord and their love toward all the saints. Notice the emphasis on knowledge. Notice the emphasis in his prayer on knowing, wisdom, revelation, to have knowledge. Look at verse 17 to 18. It says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. You see how the emphasis of this text is so clear. Wisdom, revelation, knowledge, eyes enlightened, that you may know. That's what we need. We need to come to grip with knowing God. In fact, I would say that's the very summary of all three of those prayer, the prayer things that he says at the end of verse 17. A very short phrase when he says, in the, in the knowledge of him. That is a summary of Paul's prayer. That we might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know him. J.R. Packer in his great book, Knowing God, wrote this great quote. Listen to J.R. Packer's um, words here. He says, What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. What of all the states God ever sees man in gives God most pleasure? knowledge of himself in other words nothing will make you happier and nothing makes god happier than knowing god love let us therefore consider that our great need to know him and let's look at the first point we're going to look at two points and then close with an application first the meaning of knowing god what does it mean what does it imply to say that we we should know god Again, J.R. Packer in his book gives a very, very helpful um, explanation of what does it mean? How does it look like to to grow, to to know God? And he says there's a massive difference between having knowledge about God and knowing God. And that is, that's so, so crucial. There's a big difference between having knowledge about God and knowing God. You might have a lot of knowledge about Him. You might believe He's the Creator. He's triune. That he has spoken to us in his word and that he is a gracious God and saves all those who repent and believe in him, in Jesus, all well and good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you know God at all. Again, James 2 verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and they shudder. Knowing God must mean more than just having knowledge about him. We must know God himself, know him personally by experience Again, here's an illustration, again, that J.I. Packard gives that I think is very helpful. Your knowledge of something depends largely on how complex the subject or the object of your study is. So, for example, if you want to study and know a language, a human language like Zulu or Afrikaans, you will have to do some effort to memorize the vocabulary, study the grammar. But if you put enough effort into it, your own effort, you, you can come to really know a language and understand it or some other subject. right? But when it comes to living beings, living beings are a little bit more complex than subject or just dry knowledge that we'd want to learn. For example, if someone says to you, I know this horse, what they mean is not just that they know its name, but what they mean is, I know how this horse behaves under circumstances. I know what this horse finds Uh, interesting and what frustrates this horse what what this horse likes and dislikes now let's up the complexity level so let's go to human beings a little bit more complex than an animal right you might spend years with a person and you think you know that person and only you discover more things about that person you never knew And that's one of the reasons why marriage is so amazing as well. You never stop to grow to know one another and to love one another. This is because with human beings, we don't just know each other by spending time together. So you can put in a lot of effort, but you are also dependent on the other person to share his or her thoughts with you. right? So there's a limit to how much you can give and how much you can know. The other person needs to open up. The other person needs to tell you what they like and dislike and why. So in one sense, it's not completely up to you to know someone. Do You see how that that works? The other person must be willing to open up their thoughts and their mind to you. But now let's take it one more step up. Okay, imagine for the moment your greatest human hero. I don't know if you have someone like that, okay? But that you don't know, (laughs) that you don't have a relationship with, okay? So maybe it's like a philosopher or a great scholar or maybe a pastor missionary or Christian, in the history or whatever. Think about that person for a moment. Imagine that person was still alive. Imagine you could have an opportunity to talk to that person, to have a conversation with that person. You would count it a mere privilege to just be in that person's presence, right? And if they don't want to be your friend, it's fine. (laughs) Because you have no claim on their friendship, right? You have no claim. You can't demand them to just be your friend. The higher up the person is, the more it depends on them to initiate a friendship with you. But now imagine that this person says to you, this hero of yours says to you, I want to have some supper with you. Come, come to my house. And this person shares freely their heart to you, their mind to you. This person asks you if you would be willing to spend regular time with this person. You would be thrilled, right? You'd be thrilled to have such a friend because this person offers their heart, their mind, their companionship to you. Someone like you who is unworthy of their friendship. Now, again, do you see how this connects? This is a super, super small illustration of what it means to know God. To know God then means to know what God is like, what he loves, what he hates, how he behaves, if you could use that word, under circum- circumstances. Because you have come to know him by experience. You've come to know him and what he is really like. You've not just heard about him, but you have seen him at work even in your life. You have experienced his love and the joy of the Holy Spirit. You have trusted in his promises and found them to be true. The Lord doesn't just want you to know the fact that he is good. But to come to Psalm 38 of 34 verse 8, it says, taste and see. That the Lord is good. That's what the Lord wants for us. Taste and see that he is good. It's one thing to merely know the fact that God is gracious. And it's another thing to find him gracious to you when you sin, when you fail. It is one thing to know the fact that God is your father. And it is quite another to rest in his fatherly care and to feel his love and affection for you because you've been adopted into his family. It is one thing to know the fact that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and another to have the peace that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because all your sins are nailed to the cross. It is one thing to know the fact that God is our shepherd and therefore we shall not lack and another to have the peace of mind that he will truly take care of you. It is one thing to know the fact that God is sovereign over all things and working all things together for your good and another to trust him in your sufferings, trust him in your anxieties, trust him in your fears and your worries. In a word, to trust him like the Proverbs 31 woman. I love this verse, 31 verse 25. She says, oh, this Proverbs 31, she laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the time to come. That's the attitude someone who trusts in a sovereign God. This is what God wants for you, beloved. He doesn't just want you to live like a functional atheist, a functional atheist, saying with our words that he exists, but living as if he doesn't exist, as if we are on our own, as if he won't help us and care for us. He doesn't want us to grope in the dark, searching for answers when he is everything we need. He doesn't want you to be satisfied merely knowing a lot of things about him, but he wants you to know him, to know him by experience. But if we are ever to know God like this, we too are utterly dependent on God to reveal himself to us. We cannot claim a friendship with God. We have no right to come to the Almighty and say, you shall reveal yourself to me. Who are we? We are just a creature and more than that, we are sinful. We have sinned and broken his law. We deserve only his judgments and his wrath. And yet, what, did, what do we see God do? He initiates a relationship, right? He sends his son. He came down. Jesus became man. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So God has revealed himself fully through Christ. And we now see Christ through the pages of the Bible. So that's the first thing, the meaning of knowing God. It is, we must know him, not just facts about him, but who he is. And we are dependent on him to reveal himself to us, which leads us to our second point, the means of knowing God. So what are the means of us knowing God? We see that right in our text. We need the spirit of wisdom wisdom and of revelation. Look at verse 17. Paul said, Paul prays and he says that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul prays that God might give these believers the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they might know God. Without the spirit, it is impossible to know God. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now before we go on, we need to first Make sure that Paul is actually praying about the Holy Spirit here. Because in other translations, the Spirit there is translated with a small s. So if you have another translation that has that, you will see that it actually has a small s. For example, the King James Version and even the NET Bible okay, (laughs) translates this as small s. The attitude is... So if it's a small s, the meaning would be this. It would be that God would give these believers an attitude or a spiritual sense of wisdom and revelation to know god so it's more like a spiritual attitude or gift from god than it is really the holy spirit himself but i think the esv this time is correct to to translate it as a capital s holy spirit because firstly of the context the context in verse 17 is a trinitarian context notice paul called praise to god the father the father of jesus christ to give them the spirit it just makes sense in the flow of thought that Paul is having a Trinitarian mindset when he prays. But you might say, but how can Paul pray for these believers to receive the Spirit when they've already have the Spirit? Does that make sense? We already have the Spirit. Now, how can we pray for the Spirit? Because remember verse 13 in chapter 1? In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Well, again, this is where the rest of the book of Ephesians helps us. Because of chapter 5, verse 18. So just turn over there to chapter 5, verse 18. Famous verse we need to know and also study. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting, that's a command. That's something we must do. We have an obligation to be filled by the Spirit. That is to be controlled by the Spirit as the Word of God controls our thinking. That's what it means. Let the Spirit control you as the Word of God controls your thinking. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, under His control. So believers can experience more influence or less influence of the Spirit. Believers can experience, can be more controlled by the Spirit or less controlled by the Spirit. More freedom or less freedom. That's why even Jesus said in Luke eleven thirteen 13 that, how much more will your Father give you? The Spirit for those who ask Him. So there's a sense where we should depend on God, the Spirit, to submit our lives more under the control of the Spirit. So turning back to chapter 1, verse 17, this is now what Paul is praying for. He's saying, Father, would you grant your Holy Spirit to these believers, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they might come under the control of the Spirit, that the Spirit might fill them, influence them in such a way that they might grow in their knowledge of you. That's what Paul is praying for. What specifically does the Spirit do to help us grow in our knowledge? Well, verse 17, those two attributes or the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The Spirit gives wisdom. Remember what we saw in chapter, verse 8? And we already looked at that, what that wisdom means in verse 8, which he says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom. There, wisdom means the ability to know reality as God sees it. So wisdom from God is... To know and see reality as God sees it. Believers can see that one day Jesus is going to come back and all things are going to be united to Christ. But now that's a gift. We already have that wisdom, but that wisdom needs to be cultivated in our lives. It needs to be watered. We should learn to live by it. We should learn to have this wisdom in everything we do. We should bring our hearts and our minds more and more under the control of this thinking that Jesus is going to come back and restore all things. One day, Jesus will come. That's wisdom. But the second way the Spirit helps us is not just by helping us come under the controlling thought of that, but also by revelation. Look at verse 17. It says, the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, Paul is not praying for new and fresh revelation for these believers outside of the Bible. That's very key. Instead, what Paul is praying for is that these believers will be able to understand the revelation which has already been given to them through the apostles and the prophets. This is what we see in chapter 3. Just turn over to chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. What has Paul done with this revelation, the rest of the verse? As I have written briefly. Do you see that? So the revelation is this mystery that God has revealed to the apostles and the prophets, and it's been written down. Now what must the church do with that revelation? Verse 4, look at chapter 3, verse 4. When you read this, this mystery, this revelation, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. We read the revelation of the Spirit. That's what we do with it. And now what does the Spirit do? He illuminates our minds. He helps us to understand what the bible says to perceive it only we can only know god through the bible when they read it as the spirit opens our eyes to see the glory of christ in the pages of scripture that's how we come to know god deeper by the spirit of wisdom and revelation we need him we need his help every moment we open this book we need his help that's the means you and i we cannot know god apart from The Father choosing to reveal himself, the Son coming, dwelling with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and the Spirit of wisdom and revelation opening our eyes to see Christ and God. That's the means. That's how we know God. But Now let me close with a few applications, just a few applications for us. Number one, let us in the first place see the essential role of the Spirit in helping us to know God the essential role of the Spirit to know God. Beloved, I fear as Baptists, as Reformed Baptists, that we have largely neglected the Holy Spirit and His ministry, taken His essential work for granted. We might feel strong enough, wise enough, smart enough, because we have sound doctrine that we don't need the Spirit anymore. We figure it out. We think, if I want to know God, I'll just use my own wisdom, my own understanding, my own systematic theology, my own books that I have found. I I don't need the Spirit. Beloved, don't make that mistake. Reading the Bible without the Spirit is like trying to drive a car without petrol. It's not going to go anywhere. You will be stuck. You won't grow. You won't see the glory of Christ. Zechariah 4 verse 6, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a principle. Having a little knowledge of God with the Spirit is better than having a lot of knowledge about God without the Spirit. To be sure, it is possible It is possible to know God intellectually without the Spirit because the Bible is a book. And like any book, if you read it correctly, you can understand it. Atheists can understand what the Bible says. But what they cannot see is the glory of God. They cannot see the glory of God apart from the miracle of God when he opens our eyes. Without him, you'll find the Bible boring, useless, contradicting itself, and as nonsense. If you feel that way, that's the strongest evidence that you are not under the control of the Spirit. That's the strongest evidence that the Spirit is not leading you. Beloved, perhaps one reason why we don't know God as you should is because we do not rely on the Spirit to help us. We don't rely on him. We don't pray prayers like this, Psalm 119, verse 18, when we pray. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes, Lord. Open my eyes. Father, give me your spirit right now. Illuminate my eyes. I am utterly dependent on you for joy to see you in this book. Unless you do that, Lord, my joy is gone. Lord, please give me your spirit. Control me. This is how we should pray. Secondly, that's the first application is the essential role of the spirit. But secondly, the essential role of prayer. We've already kind of um, alluded to that. But the essential role of prayer to depend on the spirit. By this simple test, you may know if you rely on the spirit or not. You will pray often for his help often. Those who think they can do it themselves, don't pray. Why pray if I can solve this problem on my own? Why pray if I'm able to conquer with my own strength? Prayer seems meaningless to the able and the strong, to the wise and the self attained. At best, prayer seems like a little icing on the cake of an already able life. But someone who understands that they are weak, frail, prone to wonder, prone to act selfishly and foolishly and to misunderstand and to bring our biases into the Bible, we will be desperate for the Spirit to help us. Beloved, let us learn how Paul prayed. Let us pray often for the Spirit to show us Christ, show us Jesus, and the Father of glory will give him to us. Thirdly. Let us also see here the essential role of the Bible to know God. The essential role of the Bible to know God. The Spirit inspired the Bible. Men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 All Scripture is breathed out by God. Remember the word breath and the Spirit is very closely connected. It's breathed out by God. It's inspired by God, by the Spirit, for us to read. Therefore... The Holy Spirit will always lead you to the Bible itself, not away from it. This is another test. If a church is spirit-filled, it will be Bible-focused, Christ-centered, not as little Bible as they can cram into that service, right? The Spirit will constantly lead you towards the Bible, not to get rid of it. Because you have your own private revelations by the Spirit. Why do you need the Bible if the Spirit gives you revelations? That's not What the Holy Spirit does the Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom to know the reality as defined by God's Word and of revelation to know the revealed Word of God as given to us by the Apostles and the prophets the Spirit and the Bible belongs together let us not separate what God has joined together by this you may also know if the Spirit is at work in your life not only will you pray for his work but you will study his work. You will be a person of the Bible. If you do not read the revelation from God you will never know God. You will always be frustrated, you will always be confused. I know I know beloved brothers that spend more time reading John Piper, J.I. Packer and other books than the Bible and they are constantly confused. They are constantly they don't know where to go and what to do because they're not spending time with the word of God itself we are content with second-hand knowledge instead of first-hand knowledge of God beloved there's no other way to know God there's no shortcuts to know God there's no one minute solution to having a relationship with God there's only one way it's to know to study to meditate and to apply this book to our hearts and our minds and our life and that's hard work it's not easy Not only is our own laziness and sin working against you to read it, but also the world and the devil is working against you to read it. Yet, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You don't have to be a fast reader. You don't have to be a quick understander. I don't know if that's a word. (laughs) Okay. But if you snail your way through the Bible, if it takes you 10 years to read through it, do it. Do it. I'm busy with my 2020 reading plan. I'm finishing it this year. Okay. And I don't know if you last checked, it's 2021. But again, it's not a, it's not a hundred meter sprint. It's a, it's a marathon. We're running the rest of our lives. That's rather the joy of God's word. We get the rest of our lives to read it. It's not even a competition. Don't even compare yourself to other brothers and sisters in this. If your pace is slow, praise God. You're going to be a much wiser person when you're done with Genesis, when you're done with Matthew. But here's the principle, don't give up. Don't give up. Someone has once said, I love this quote, it says, that book must be worth reading who has God as its author. Don't you agree? Isn't the book that has God as its author worth the read (laughs) and the (laughs) reread and the reread? And surely we should of all books, cherish this one. Because that's how we know him. That's how we know him. Lastly, the first step to knowing God is through Christ. It's to come to Christ. If you do not know God, where must you begin? What is the first step in knowing God? Well, it actually doesn't begin with you at all. The first step to knowing God is to realize that God took the first step. That God himself came down. He stepped down from heaven. He became a man. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He dwelt with us and we have beheld his glory. Glory as of the only son, full of grace and truth. He came for you. He came for sinners like us to save us, rescue us, rescue you from you, save you from you, from your idols, your self-sinders, your sin. Even for the chief of sinners, he came. Jesus is his name. And it means the Lord saves. That's what this name means. Christ delights to save humble sinners who humble themselves and seek his mercy. He has never turned away anyone who came to him for grace. Never. He died on the cross to pay for our sins in full. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and he will come again And he did all of that so that we might not just know some facts about him. He did all of that, that we might be reconciled to God, our Father. So right now, this afternoon, humble yourself under this God. Humble yourself. Confess your need for a Savior. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins and your idols. They they, they, They take away from you. They don't give you anything. Jeremiah 2 talks about this beautiful picture between God and the idols. And it says, idols are like broken cisterns that can't hold any water. You have to just pour in water for idols and they just leave you empty. But God is a fountain of living water. And you can go over and over and over again and he will never be exhausted. Never. Trust in Christ. And you'll enter into a new relationship with the Father through the work of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we we confess that we are sometimes like the disciples, slow to to believe and slow to know and slow to understand who you are and Lord, and often our, our lives, our sufferings and trials, and even our own sin, Lord, clouds our minds of knowing you, of seeing you, but Lord, thank you for this, for this word and Ephesians 1, and as we study it, to see that your desire for us is to know you, not just know about you, but know you really, know you intimately and personally through prayer and through the, through the reading of your word by your spirit. Father, I pray for all of us. Help us, Lord. Teach us what it means to be dependent on the Spirit. Lord, we confess that as Baptists and in our our denomination, we tend to neglect depending on the Holy Spirit, Lord. And please forgive us for that. Forgive us for undermining and minimizing the role of the Spirit in our lives. Teach us what it means to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be under the control of the Spirit. Lord, for our greatest longing and our greatest desire is to know you and to know you forever. So Lord, please draw us deeper into a relationship with Christ, a relationship with you, Father, a relationship with you, Holy Spirit, that we might know the triune God. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name.